This morning's reading will be taken from Romans chapter 10, reading verses 1 to 4. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody again. Been too long, way too long, for those of you who are unaware of what happened. Uh, che and I got sick just before we left for our vacation, so we flew to Singapore sick. We spent practically the entire three weeks in bed, got back, was still sick, hadn't beat it, so it took two rounds of antibiotics and, and a whole lot of bed rest, and I can tell you that's more, I've seen my bed more than I want to, you know, so, but I'm glad to be back here and doing what I love to do, and that's preaching the word of God, being here with all of you, so. Our lesson this morning is in Romans chapter 10. We are going to get back to our sermon series. We're going to get back to looking at the things that Paul had been saying and and teaching. And uh, when we think of the book of Romans, as we have said many times, we think about who the audience is. He's talking to both Jews and Greeks. He's reaching out to them. He's trying to explain to them that the Israelites, that faith was, that the, the salvation was for the Jews originally. And then... But that was always God's plan from the beginning, that salvation would be available to everyone. But then Paul sets out many different arguments and points to show that God made every effort to try to reach them and to help them to understand that salvation was available to them. And and it's only through Christ Jesus. But we come to chapter 10, and you notice the reading that we just had a moment ago. And it starts off with those four verses where where Paul makes this heartfelt plea, this statement that he wished his fellow Jews would be saved. Think about someone that you know, that you, you absolutely wished you could bring them to Christ. Your heart's desire is that they would be saved, that they would hear the gospel and be saved. So imagine what Paul is feeling. That's how he feels here. He says that these Jews, the Israelites, were zealous for God. And he said the same thing about himself in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. He talked about being very zealous for God. He talked about the, the knowledge that he had. He had been thoroughly trained in the law. He was, he was zealous for God. However, he learned very quickly that his zeal was misguided because he didn't have the proper knowledge or correctly understand the knowledge that he had. It's not until he faced Jesus that he realized that he was wrong. And he got it. So, it's, in the same, it's the same way in our world today. A lot of sincere people have great zeal for God, but they, they lack that kind of knowledge or understanding that they should have about Christ and his word. And it's our job to help them to see. Christ is a true righteousness that comes from God, and only through Christ can we be saved. And that's Paul's message all throughout the book of Romans, but especially in chapter 10. So, when Christ came, he put an end to the old law. He put an end to the old order of things, and he opened up a new way. So now we come to the section of verses 5 to 13. Let's start by reading verse 5. Verse 5. 
Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. So, as mentioned, the Israelites had a misguided zeal, but it was based on the law of works. God intended for the Israelites to obey the law of Moses because they were the people of God, not to become the people of God. But they turned it into something else. They turned it into a system of self-righteousness that God never intended. This wasn't God's will for them, that they turned it into what they turned it into. As the Apostle Paul had said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So Paul made it clear earlier in Romans chapter 3, you can't be righteous by following the law. It's not going to happen. Paul spoke about the same thing in chapter 7. You might remember when we had our sermon on chapter 7, and he talked about that very same thing. True righteousness was possible only by faith. And this is what Abraham was commended for. This is what Abraham understood, which was covered in Romans chapter 3. Paul talked about that very same thing. Take a look at verses 6 to 8 now as we continue, and Paul continues with this thought here. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. So, to better understand what's being said here, you might have a footnote in your Bible, and you might notice that he's quoted a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to just read those verses from Deuteronomy chapter 30 so you can get an idea why he's quoting these verses and what he's talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to verse 20. says this. Oh, let me paint a little picture here. So we we have the, the giving of the law over again. So this is the second generation not the original Israelites that had come out of Egypt, but rather Joshua and Caleb and the second generation, the kids who would would inherit the land. So the re-giving of the law, we see verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today, Moses is telling the Israelites, is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it? No, the word is very near, very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And so notice that Moses, in the last couple of verses, mentioned heaven and earth as witnesses that he had revealed God's will to them. They didn't have to go up to heaven or cross the sea to find the will of God or to ask God personally. He had revealed it to them. He had told them what God's will is. Well, similarly, the Apostle Paul said in verse 8, It is in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith we are proclaiming. In the same way that Moses proclaimed to the Israelites, he's proclaiming to the Christians, his audience here. And that's why he uses this imagery that you don't have to go to heaven to get it. You don't have to go into the deep to get it. I'm proclaiming it to you. It is here. Under the Old Testament, to obey God, to follow his laws and decrees brought life. Jesus had come, God the Son, and to obey him brings life. You see the comparison Paul's using. He's, he's showing the change, the change of covenant. He's showing the change the way things is, the way things are now with Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, and we are to obey him. So Moses told the Israelites to choose life or death, blessings or curses. He revealed to them what they must do. Choosing life meant loving the Lord. It meant listening to his voice. It meant obeying him out of expression for that love. Paul was proclaiming the same message as Moses, except for the difference of following Jesus instead of the law of Moses. It's the same message. Look at verses 9 and 10 now of Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. So he says, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Many sincere and religious people have tried to use these verses to say that we just need to believe and be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord to be saved. The problem with that view is that doesn't take into account the rest of this chapter. There's a lot more being said here. The heart here includes the human intellect with which we believe, as well as the emotions and the will. Any faith should be willing to confess itself, that is to say, express itself verbally. As William Barclay says, but a man must not only believe in his heart, he must confess with his lips. It involves witness before men. Not only God, but also our fellow men must know that we are Christians. A man must declare what side he is on, what side he is on. Our confession tells people where our allegiance is, where it lies, where our commitment is. The steps that are taken in order to receive salvation include confession with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and belief in the heart that God raised him from the dead. We read that here from these verses. I like what one commentator had to say. He said, faith in God and courage to confess Christ is just as essential to salvation at every step through life, down to death itself, as they are at the beginning. We need, even at the end, to be confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in our hearts. It, does, it starts when we, when we respond to the gospel, but it continues right till death. We never stop believing and confessing that Jesus is Lord. Take a look at verses 11 to 13 now to finish this section off, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul quoted Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. If you were to go back to that verse, Isaiah 28, verse 16 
There's a little more that is said. He just quotes part of it. And I'll read that verse for you. And here's what it says. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Notice the other section that's missing here that Paul doesn't mention because Paul had already established that Jesus is the cornerstone, that they were to believe in Jesus. That's why he doesn't quote that part of it. He just quotes the last part, and he says that those who trust in him will never be dismayed. We're to trust in Jesus. That verse is talking about Jesus, and Paul quotes it for his audience. Paul said, as the scripture says, and I like that when Paul does that throughout the New Testament. As the scripture says, you might, might remember that he also does that First Corinthians chapter 15 when he's talking about Jesus. As the scripture says. So it's not just his word. He's using Old Testament prophecy. He's using the Old Testament to show that that's what it says. It's not just his words. Don't just take my word for it. This is what scripture says. At first, when we read verses 11 to 13, it might seem like Paul is simply saying salvation is available to everyone. But there's a lot more being said here. Remember what we've been talking about through the book of Romans, talking about the Jews who were rejecting Jesus, not accepting Jesus. And so a Jew would have found it hard to believe that the way to God was not through the law. In their minds, it's through the law. That's the way to God. So they would have found that difficult. And they would have even had more difficulty in believing that the way to God was anyone, as it says in verse 11, and everyone, as it says in verse 13. To them, it's like, no. No, it's only available to us, the Jews. What are you talking about? They would have found that difficult. But there's nothing written there that says anything about the law in verse 11. When we read verse 11 a moment ago, as the scripture says, he quotes the scripture, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. doesn't say anything about the law there. talks about having faith in Jesus. It's all based on faith. Verse 13 shows us that there is no limitation. The promise is for everyone, and there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. Salvation is available to everyone. Imagine how the Jews would have felt hearing that. Imagine how you would have felt if you were a Jew back then. And you followed the law, the letter to the, the, the law to the letter. You followed it your entire life. You, you understood that this is what I had to do to follow God. And then all of a sudden you're being told, no, not anymore. Now you've got to follow Jesus. And not just you. All those people you didn't associate with and you cut yourself off from they're going to follow Jesus, and you have to do it together with them. And you're like, oh, you imagine how overwhelmed you'd feel, right? Imagine the anxiety that would come on. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like I've been doing this this way for this long, and now all of a sudden you flip it around, and now I have to change everything, and now I have to do it with these other people that I didn't do it with? So imagine how strange it was. Everything changed for them. It was not an easy thing to hear. So for Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, did the Apostle Paul mean verbally calling, or was there more implied? Now, we know that we call on the name of the Lord when we pray to the Lord, but that's not what he's talking about here. He quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Not only did he tell the Jews that salvation was now for everyone, not only did he quote Old Testament prophecy to show that, But what he also did was reaffirm what the other apostles were saying and teaching. You might remember that Peter quoted Joel chapter 2, verse 32, in Acts chapter 2. And he did this before Paul quoted it. And so on the day of Pentecost, when Peter quotes that passage, 
he quotes a little more of Joel. He quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. He later went on to say in verse 36, this is Peter we're talking about, that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Peter made it clear that Jesus is Lord. Paul's doing that now in Romans chapter 10. Jesus is Lord. Paul was also making it clear that Jesus is Lord and everyone who called on him would be saved. Well, did the people Peter spoke to just believe and confess? When we read through Romans chapter 10, and he's talking about confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, is that all we see that takes place in Acts chapter 2, when Peter quotes that, when Peter talks about calling on the name of the Lord? But Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So we understand there's something more that is required. This is to be the response of the person who believes, the person who's willing to confess Jesus as Lord. It doesn't just stop at belief and confession. How do you call on the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13? By responding to the word that is in your mouth and in your heart. The word that you hear and believe, and you have to respond to it. This is our obedience to God. When Paul quoted those three verses from Deuteronomy, But it's clearly written in, in And I want you to notice something very specific. Verses 12 to 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Those verses Paul quoted in Deuteronomy. Listen to what it says. He says, it is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to proclaim it to us so we may obey it? So that you have to ask, so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. He says it three times, so you may obey it. You notice in Romans chapter 10, he talks about the word being in your mouth and in your heart. He doesn't mention obedience because it's expected. It's implied in Romans chapter 10, even though we don't read it there. It's implied. Obedience has always been required. We are not under the Old Testament law anymore, but we do have to show obedience to God by responding to the message that has been proclaimed. How did the Israelites respond back then? They obeyed. They did everything that Moses had commanded. How do we respond today with what we're reading about in Romans chapter 10? We respond by repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to follow Jesus fully, to submit ourselves fully to Christ. We need to hear the word and obey it. We need to believe that the gospel message is truth. Believe that Jesus truly is the son of God in the flesh, that he did come to die for us. And he did die for us. He died for each and every one of us. And he rose back to life. Then we need to repent. We need to confess that Jesus is our Lord. And finally, we need to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, which is our response or our obedience to that message that was proclaimed by Paul. By doing all this, it says that we submit to the will of God. And that's what we're doing. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouths, but we're submitting to the will of God when we choose to repent. I like what Tyler had to say when he presided the Lord's Supper about repentance, about changing, about the things that you might have to change. And we need to change. And we need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So the question remains... Did you respond to the gospel message? Did you respond to that message that was told to you, that was preached to you, that message that's in your mouth and in your heart? Most of us here know that Jesus is the God the Son. 
We know that he died for us. But do you truly believe it? And if you truly believe it, have you decided to go all the way and submit to the will of God and obey him? If you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have not gone all the way, now's the time, not later on. Now's the time, because we don't know when Jesus is going to return for us, do we? No one knows that day. No one knows that hour except for the Father in heaven. And so Jesus could show up right now while we're here worshiping. He could show up in a week from now. He could show up in a month from now. Now is the time to submit to the will of God. Now is the time to respond to the good news, the message. Are you perhaps still at the stage of belief, but have not fully submitted to the will of God? Now is the time. Let's stand as we sing.